Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon. Last week's episode was all about exercise and leanness, and I highly recommend listening to that episode if you haven't already. But in that episode, I talk about how exercise is shown to be pretty ineffective for fat loss. Studies show that exercise alone may result in very, very small amounts of weight loss, but without nutritional changes, fat loss is fairly insignificant if you're just using exercise alone. But we've been sold that if you work out more and if you work out harder, then you can shrink your body. And this is just really not how it works. And I break it down and try to educate as much as I can in last week's episode using lots of studies and research. Exercise may help with your metabolic flexibility, with your glucose regulation, which can improve your body's ability to use fat as fuel. But nutrition is the main key if fat loss is your goal. And I'm a broken record. I don't love to talk about fat loss and weight loss because Evlo is not a weight loss program. I always say we're a muscle building program because again, I just don't think exercise is very effective for fat loss in general. But I also want to make sure that those of you who do have weight loss goals, or you do want to get leaner, that you are getting information that's reliable. You're getting up-to-date information so that you're able to use this information to make educated decisions towards your goals. Because I think that if a lot of us are just left to the devices of social media, we might be getting information that isn't valid or reliable. So in this episode, I bring on an awesome registered dietitian, and she is actually an EFLO member, and she talks about nutrition and leanness. So my guest today is Hope Fitzgerald Brandt. She's a registered dietitian, and not only does Hope talk about the science of fat loss from her experience and her education as a registered dietitian and as an expert in this, but she has her own personal experience with weight loss that she talks about. So we get into how to change nutrition if you have a lot of weight to lose. And then we also talk about how to tweak nutrition if you have like the last 10 pounds or so, and you just want to get a little leaner. So Hope Fitzgerald Brandt is a registered dietitian and she focuses not only on the science of nutrition, but also on helping her clients change behaviors around eating. So without further ado, here is our awesome guest for today, Hope Fitzgerald Brandt. Hope, welcome to the podcast. You have been a longtime Evla member and you're also best friends with Peyton, which is just amazing. So I and I love following you on social media. So I'm so excited to have you um, officially on the podcast for the first time. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Shannon. It is, I have just loved watching the evolution of this program and seeing Peyton jump in with you. It's just been so much fun. Oh, well, yay. I'm I'm excited for you to share all the things today. And I want to start by talking before we get into any of this. I think it's really important because both of us are kind of on the same page with this in that I am not like all about aesthetics and fat loss and weight loss. I always say Evlo is not a weight loss program. It's a muscle building Mm -hmm. program. However, we were kind of talking about this before we started recording. I think it's important because some people have the goal of weight loss and fat loss, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if we don't educate them properly, they're going to go get their education from, you know, diet culture, which might Mm -hmm. end up harming them or frustrating them or whatever. So it's almost like Yes, it's not our number one goal for most of our population or most of our members and clients, but it is important to touch on so that you're educated and you're doing it in the right ways if that is a goal for you. So how do you kind of view like weight loss and fat loss with your people? 
Yeah, no, I completely agree that aesthetics are not <laughs> everything by a long shot. Um, and so, I mean, with the ma- all of my clients and the majority of my posts and content that I create is really driven by looking at the mindset piece behind you know, what's driving your behavior around nutrition so that you can feel good and feel confident in what you're doing. Um, And it's not just driven by a one-dimensional desire to get smaller um, or lose weight. But there have been times in my life when I have had aesthetic goals. I'm, I'm currently 30 weeks pregnant. So after I have this baby, I know I'm going to return to a place where I'm going to have aesthetic goals again. And I think it's just really important to uh, be able to have the accurate information that's needed to be efficient in reaching the goals that you have. So you don't end up feeling like you're spinning your wheels and you're going to all of these different resources that may or may not be giving you accurate information that's needed for what your actual goal is. <laughs> Yes. Yes. And we hope to, we know that it's, it's not as simple as the things that we're going to talk about today, but we hope that this episode and then last week's episode that I did on exercise and leanness will really help people like carve a more clear path on, on getting Mm -hmm. towards their goals. And I know that you have a history with this stuff. So a personal history, as well Mm -hmm. as, you know, a professional lens on this. So what is your kind of personal history with, um, fat loss and weight loss. Yes. Okay. So, and this is really where I kind of began my nutrition journey. Uh, My entry point was the paleo diet. And of course, this is not something that I (laughs) am recommending that be anybody's starting point um, because I have a lot more perspective and experience and knowledge at this point. But that's really what kind of allowed me to make the connection between what I'm eating and how my body is feeling. And once I drastically changed my diet to kind of fit within the parameters of the paleo diet. So, I mean, that's like a vast reduction of processed food, eating out, lower sugar intake. I realized I felt so much better. And, you know, in retrospect, it's not necessarily (laughs) cutting out all the things that the paleo diet entails. You know, I didn't have to cut out dairy, grains, legumes, all the things that I I have now reincorporated in my diet. At the time, it truly was the huge results that I was able to see was just by drastically overhauling the amount of like processed food I was eating and the amount of times that I was going out to eat per week. Kind of those like low hanging fruit that can really drive progress when your diet has a lot of room for improvement. But once I got to a point where, you know, I was eating quote unquote, very clean, and I had ended up losing about 25 to 30 pounds, I got to a place where I was not continuing to see the body composition results that I wanted to see. And I was getting really frustrated at that point, because I felt like I was quote unquote, doing all the right things. And I didn't know why I wasn't continuing to see progress. So once I was able to kind of bring in that element of, okay, quality matters a thousand percent. I will never say (laughs) that the quality of your diet does not matter, but quantity and what you're eating and what your macronutrient profile looks like, that is also a major driver of body composition results Um, and um, fat loss or weight loss that you want to see. And so once I was able to really comprehend and implement that element, that is when I was able to see 
the body composition results that I was looking for and really make improvement in that area past the point of the weight loss that I was able to see just by making those general improvements to my diet. So I really do think starting (laughs) with the low hanging fruit is a fantastic place to be. And it's kind of like how you were talking about beginner gains and things like that. Like when you were doing your Pilates episode, where if you go from zero to doing something, then you're going to see results. But what happens when you hit that plateau and you're looking to really kind of hone in on achieving your specific results, then having a plan in place and having the information to get to the next level, that's when that stuff becomes really important. Yes. Because we hear this all the time, exactly kind of what you experienced is people come to us and say like, I'm eating clean, I'm Mm -hmm. eating clean and I'm still not seeing results. So what is, what is ultimately for your, from your experience and for what you, you know, educate Mm -hmm. your clients on, what is that switch between eating clean and actually seeing results? What is the the delineation there? So, and this is my personal experience, but I also see this (laughs) with many of my clients who come in and say, you know, they're eating well, they're eating clean, they're doing all the right things. They're not seeing the results that they want to see exactly where I was. I had never tracked my intake before that point. So while I was choosing foods that maybe had fewer ingredients, I was choosing, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables and things like that to fill my plate. I didn't know my what my macronutrient ratio looked like. And so that would be the percentage of my diet that was made up of carbohydrates, fats, and protein. Once I started tracking, it was one of the biggest (laughs) light bulb moments that I have experienced because things that I thought were bringing in a lot of protein to my diet were actually bringing more fat to my diet than protein. And this is in no way demonizing any macronutrient. We need all three to have (laughs) a healthy and well-functioning body. But once I looked at shifting not only my macronutrient ratio to having more protein, I also was able to look at my overall intake. And based on, you know, like predictive formulas, like things that determine your total daily energy expenditure, um, and then kind of reducing your intake based on that number, that's when I was able to see the fat loss and body composition changes that I wanted to see. So that those are the biggest drivers, um, being in a mild caloric deficit, and then also eating enough protein and carbohydrates and fats to be able to drive the body composition results that you want to see. Yes. Let's get into the details of that. Of that. So mm-hmm. people hear mild caloric deficit. They, what does that mean? Is that, is that maintenance of your total daily energy expenditure? Is mm-hmm. that like a like hundred calorie? Like what is, what are the details of that? Cause I think people might hear a slight calorie deficit and they go down a thousand calories or 500 calories or whatever. Yes. Well, and I think <laughs> this is, and I'm not saying everybody needs to track their intake for sure. But this is one of the biggest reasons why I think it can be such an efficient tool because when people hear, okay, I need to be in a caloric deficit, the immediate response is to just drop as or like just stop eating or eating as few calories as possible. And that is definitely not what we want to be doing because that's just going to come back and bite you later on. 
So this is why I think tracking can be such an efficient tool when you've accomplished changing your diet in those like general ways, like we were talking about the low hanging fruit, you're doing things that are yielding, you know, good health outcomes, but you're really looking to break through that plateau and get to a little bit more individualized goals. I think tracking will really help you get there in a way that you're not self-sabotaging later um, because you don't want to cut your calories too low. That can end up resulting in metabolic adaption or more so it can just result in creating nutrition habits that are not going to be healthy or sustainable in the long run. You know, if you're eating as little as possible during the week and by the time you get to the weekend, you're starving, you go off the rails, you feel like you're completely out of control and then you feel guilty, you feel shameful. And by next Monday, you're right back on the, you know, quote unquote diet wagon. That's not going to yield the results you want and it's not going to feel good or be sustainable. Yeah. Um, I think everyone can relate to that, that feeling of like, okay, I'm going to eat as little as possible. And then the weekend comes and you literally, you eat triple the amount of your expenditure. And then you're like, ah, I, I think that's very, very, that's why like, for me, I almost well, I, w- I want to hear before I in- like interject with my personal experience. I want to hear what you think is like the, do you, what do you recommend as far as a deficit? If someone is yes. strength training <clears throat> and exercising already, and they want to lean down a little bit, what do you recommend as far as a deficit? Yes. Okay. So there's a couple different things that we need to look at when we're we're looking at determining what our overall like intake and output are. Um, this is not an exact science, you know, unless you're going into a clinic and they're like, you know, hooking you up to oxygen machines and figuring out what your actual expenditure is. This is going to be a little bit of guess and check, but it can get you close enough to where you're in a range where you can play around and see what type of or, or what range is going to work for you. So first we're going to look at determining, and this is how I go through it with my clients. We determine your BMR needs, your basal metabolic rate. This is basically the point where your body, this is the energy that expends completely at rest. Like if you were in a coma, this is the amount of calories that would be needed to be fed to you to maintain your current body mass. This is the number that we do not want to drop under basically ever (laughs) because you will not be giving your body what it needs to maintain your basic metabolic processes, basic cellular health, hormonal health. We don't want to be going under that number. But there's another number that we look at when we're kind of computing where our ideal deficit range is going to be. Um, And that's our total daily energy expenditure. That's our TDEE. That's going to be a much higher number. Most of the time, I see it, you know, being at least a thousand calories over your basal metabolic rate. So your TDEE encompasses all of your activity throughout the day, all of your exercise activity, calories, all of the calories that you're burning, you know, doing random, the typing on the computer, standing up and going to the grocery store, all of those things. So a mild deficit is going to be somewhere in between that range of your BMR and your total daily energy expenditure. Typically, I find that a point that's going to be able to drive results while not dipping your calories too low 
is going to be almost like equidistant between those two points. So for example, my BMR is around like 1400. My TDE E is around 2400. So the range of like 16 to 18, or even like 16 to 2000, depending on where I'm at is typically my deficit range where I can see results, but I'm not miserable. (laughs) I still am like feeling good, have high energy, can complete my workouts, even improve in my workouts while still creating the body composition changes that I want to see. Got it. Got it. That is really helpful for us to hear, I think. And by the way, those of you listening, I teach you how to calculate your TDEE in a free workshop in the in the show notes if you want to click that and you can check that out and how to calculate that. But um Perfect. I think that's I think that's a great recommendation. And as far as macronutrients, protein, if you're lifting weights is obviously essential. So what is, do you recommend? I've heard so many different ranges of protein recommendations. What do you typically recommend? So uh, when I look at a protein range, the first thing that comes to mind is the achievability of the number that we're going to put our target on, because if it's not doable, it doesn't matter, honestly. So (laughs) The lower range that I suggest is 0.7, and then the higher end is one gram per pound of body weight. So that 0.7, I think, can be a very doable and achievable point for someone to start if we've never looked at how much protein we're getting. I mean, and honestly, if you've never looked at it, I would bet (laughs) that A, it's much lower than you think it is, um, and it's probably like around... 50 to 75 grams a day. That's typically where our protein falls if we're not tracking it, if we're not making a point to eat very protein-rich foods throughout the day. So for most people, that's going to be too low (laughs) to be seeing the body composition results that we want to see to be able to build muscle or just maintain muscle. So I calculate for clients um, that range of 0.7 to 1 gram per pound of body weight, and then typically fluctuate within that range based on, you know, their experience and what's going to work for them and, and, you know, what their body composition already looks like. It's easier to make progress if you've got a lot of, you know, improvement to make. If you're getting to that point where, you know, you're looking to lean out and tone up and you've got like, you know, 10 to 15 pounds even to lose, that's a lot trickier than coming from a point where, you know, you have a lot of excess body fat to lose. Yes. I will say, I talk about this on the podcast a lot, so I'm sorry, listeners, if you've heard me say this over and over, but I, um, body recompositioned last year Mm -hmm. and I, the first thing I did was started tracking my food. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I am same thing. I was eating way less protein than I should be. And all I did was change my protein and kind of stay at, I actually stayed at my maintenance TDE Mm -hmm. and I saw myself gain muscle and lose fat. And I did not change my workouts. I didn't add steps. I didn't add extra cardio. I didn't add extra, extra strength training sessions. All I did was do that. And I'm telling you, not only did I see muscle gain and fat loss at the same time, but I also saw myself increase in strength over the year. Like it was, it just goes to show that fueling yourself is so important. And I think that if you've never tracked before and you don't have any awareness around it, 
Mm-hmm. maybe starting to track and get some awareness around it might be beneficial. But then I hear, we hear from so many people who are like, I don't want to track just because it's tedious yes. and or tracking kind of sends me into an obsessive place where maybe it's not healthy anymore. So mm-hmm. what do you, what is your recommendation for like, okay, tracking would be a good tool for you, or maybe we should consider something else. Yes. So again, and I think it's, the biggest part of my job is to meet people where they are. And so if someone comes to me and they say, I do not want to track, we will not track, (laughs) you know, if it's already something, you know, you have zero interest in that's okay. And a lot of times it's because maybe you've tried it before and it didn't work, or you're afraid that it will bring out some like neurotic or anxious tendencies. And that's totally okay. It definitely does not have to be a part of your routine. There's ways to, um, you know, like the hand method of kind of measuring out your protein based on your palm size um, and shooting for like a palm size portion of protein at your meals would get you, you know, closer to that range without having to track. However, if you've never tracked before, or if you're coming from an experience where tracking felt extremely tedious and produced kind of those like anxiety tendencies around trying to hit your numbers exactly, I do always like to make the point that perfection, and especially in the way that I coach it, is first of all, unachievable, but should never be the goal. Even when you're tracking and you're aiming for those targets, it will literally never, ever, ever be perfect. There will always be some error that's going to cause those numbers to not actually be what the target is. And that doesn't matter. That's totally okay. The targets are there to be able to put us in a range that's going to work and produce the results we're looking for. So we're never actually looking for the perfection of hitting those numbers. We're looking to get close enough to the range that's going to produce the results that we're looking for. So um, the the like perfectionistic tendencies tends to hold people back from either wanting to track or thinking that it's something that could work for them. And so if we can just immediately ditch those expectations and know that it's never going to be perfect, what it really is doing is just getting us in a range that's going to drive the results we're looking for. I think that can release a lot of the anxiety that can come with tracking. (laughs) Yes. I love the idea of having like a range And Mm -hmm. I, again, anecdotally, I'm sorry, I keep inserting my personal experience, but I think that it can help people like see that it doesn't need to be perfect. Like I was, I never got exact, like I did start tracking, but I never got exactly to the number that it was always a little bit above. Generally it was a little bit above or maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit below on the weekends. I didn't track at all. And it was more about the consistency of it. And the more about the consistency of fueling properly and not dipping down too low. Cause then Mm -hmm. I would just binge later So I think I love that idea of like, don't, if you don't hit 1800 calories on the nose, it's okay. You can go a hundred calories above or, you know, whatever. I I love that idea. I think that will help people a lot. And things that I'd love to, I love to look at the weekly average instead of just the daily average, because again, that's really what's driving results. And so I think people get very hung up on hitting all of their numbers every single day. And it's like, okay, we don't need to do that. Let's like pull back a little bit and look at the graph on a weekly basis and see, okay, are we being consistent enough 
to drive the results that we want? And most of the time it's yes. Just like you were saying, even if you're a hundred calories over or a hundred calories under one day, it's going to even out and average out to still be able to produce the results that we're looking for. Um, As long as you are in that kind of consistency window for long enough. Yep. I love that. I think that's really helpful. So there's a myth that I, or maybe it's not a myth. I actually, I I hear different things on this and I want to know your take starvation mode, quote unquote. Have you heard of this where people you did Uh too low and then you actually have a hard time losing weight because your calories are too low? Yes. Okay. I have heard this. Um, and I think it's a pretty pervasive myth because it sounds like something that I would want to hear. It's like, oh, that's the problem. I'm not eating enough. (laughs) That would be really nice. But no, that is not generally the problem. Now, I will say, and this is kind of semantics, but while starvation mode, you know, does not exist, there is a phenomenon called metabolic adaption that can result um, when your intake is too low over a prolonged period of time. That doesn't mean that you won't still be losing weight. That just means that your body, your metabolism will have adapted to that low intake and literally kind of like start shutting your body down. (laughs) So we don't want to be there, but Again, that doesn't trump the overall thermodynamic principles of energy balance. If you are eating less than your body burns, you will be losing weight. If you are not losing weight, then you are not in a caloric deficit. Yeah. And that's kind of a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. But and I think I think it's like it makes sense because and if you are your BMR, your basal metabolic rate, from my Mm -hmm. understanding, again, check me on all this will be the the more mass you have the more the higher your bmr will be whether that's exactly. muscle or fat no matter what mass that is yep. and at, if you start to lose fat your basal metabolic rate will decline because you just have less tissue to serve and yes. that means your metabolism quote unquote will be lower as you start to lose weight so if Correct. you lose 50 pounds or whatever and you're still eating at your same bmr or above your same and you haven't adjusted for the TDEE, then you might feel like you're eating the same, but you're still not losing weight. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. And maybe you can explain it more eloquently. Well, and that's why maintaining caloric deficit is kind of a moving target, especially when you do start losing weight. Um, Those numbers aren't static. They don't stay the same all the time, which is why I I think it's very helpful (laughs) to have a coach or to have the knowledge to be able to look at, okay, when do I actually need to make adjustments or when do I just need to be patient and keep being consistent and and kind of ride this out a little bit? Um, Because I think that's another thing or kind of a trap that people fall into is like, oh, if I'm not seeing progress every day or every week, then I need to make an adjustment. And that's not the case. It, sometimes it takes weeks um, before you continue to see that dip. But what you do not want to do is keep dropping your calories lower and lower and lower until they get so unsustainable that you have to basically give up completely. And then you never reach the place that you want to get to. It's a slow process. Yes. And also goes to show how trying to gain muscle can be your friend. 
mm-hmm. because it keeps your BMR higher the more ma- muscle mass you have. Cause I think a lot of people yes. like that join Evlo, they're like, my clothes, I'm confused because my clothes are fitting better, but I've actually gained weight on the scale. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, yes. it's like, well, that's, that's kind of a, the best thing to happen because then yes. you, your BMR is higher. So you don't have to keep dipping down, down, down with your calories, but your body composition has changed. For sure. Well, and something which is just kind of an interesting question to ask yourself is, you know, would you care what the number on the scale was? If you you were looking the way that you wanted to look, you looked in the mirror and you liked your muscle definition, you liked your body proportions, would it matter what number was on the scale? Um, And most people would say, no, I wouldn't care what was on the scale. And I think really keeping that in focus um, because a lot of times the scale is the thing that people fixate on when we're looking at creating some sort of fat loss um, or, or even weight loss goal, which I mean, which is why I always like to come back to looking at body composition and fat loss instead of just weight loss, because weight loss in and of itself, you know, can be a good marker and data point to have. But if we're losing just as much or more muscle than fat mass, that is exactly what we do not want to be happening. Um, And that's why this process of fat loss is so much slower than just weight loss, because you have to keep your calories and your protein high enough to maintain the muscle mass that you have. Yes. I always say that. I'm like, if you want to sustain this and like not yo-yo, you have to allow it to happen slowly. Yes. Cause it's like, it's not, it's yes. I think that like body recomposition does happen slower because you, you don't want to dip your calories too low, like Mm -hmm. you said. So it does happen slower, but I feel like it's more enjoyable because like, Mm -hmm. you're not like starving all the time. Yes. And your behaviors can adapt. You have time to actually like change your behaviors and understand your body and understand like what makes you feel good. Exactly. And I say this all the time, but like what good are quick results if you can't maintain them? If you lose them just as quickly, then literally what good did that do? And it didn't do any good. And it probably honestly made you a little worse off because now you're just reconfirming that, you know, a quote, nothing works or B you're broken or C like dieting and changing your body composition is miserable or, you know, actually creating that metabolic adaption that we want to avoid. And so, I mean, nothing, nothing good can come from from that. And so sustainability and being able to maintain the results that you produce is absolutely number one priority in making any of these types of lifestyle changes. Yes. I love this. What other myths do you want to debunk about exercise and leanness that we didn't already talk about? Is there anything left that you like want people to know or anything that you're seeing all over social media that you feel like needs to be cleared up? Something that I've just continued to see and seen literally just today is kind of the hormone conversation, which I think is super (laughs) touchy. And honestly, I don't even know that I want to get super into it, but I will say again, um, it's kind of like the starvation mode 
myth discussion that we had that even experiencing some hormonal changes in different periods of life and things like that still don't trump the laws of thermodynamics. So if we're not in a caloric deficit, we will not be seeing fat loss. And many times it's behavior that is the biggest driver of these things. And our behavior over time can shift in such small ways that we don't even realize that we're doing things differently. But it has been enough of a difference over time to maybe produce some added, some fat gain or some things um, that we didn't realize were happening until it happens for long enough that it it produces a result, you know? So I think, again, really, really, really checking what's going on, what behavioral things are happening around your nutrition, around your exercise, your lifestyle is always going to be the first place to look before trying to blame something else for yes. an undesirable result that you're seeing. I I love that you said that. I think for me, like cravings, I get cravings certain times mm-hmm. of the month. And those to me feel like it, it does feel like a hormonal craving. And I know yeah. like with pregnancy, obviously that happens <laughs> as well. And it feels like I, I know that I'm eating more than I need right now, but it's like, I can't control it. It's like, there's somebody else in yes, me yeah. <laughs> doing that. So it's like, I feel like the hormones really do drive mm-hmm. your behavior. Yes. So it's like, but I love that you said it's not the hormones that are inhibiting your weight loss necessarily. It's more that the hormones are influencing your behavior to eat eat more than you need or whatever it is. So this is so helpful. I think what I like to do at the end of my episodes is just kind of like summarize everything that we talked about. So if you could just summarize, if someone's, let's take two different people. Let's say you, you have, um, a lot of, you have a large fat loss goal and maybe you're someone who is just like the last, you're already exercising, you're doing all the things and it's just kind of the last 10 pounds. So mm-hmm. let's talk to t- both of those people. You said for someone who has a lot of weight to lose, maybe it's the the low hanging fruit. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I would say start there. Start by asking yourself, okay, first of all, how can I include a fruit or a vegetable at my meals and snacks as frequently as possible. And then looking at reducing the amount of times per week you are going out to eat and reducing the amount of highly processed foods that make up your diet. That doesn't mean we have to completely cut those things out, but if they're making up the majority of your diet, let's try to shift that ratio to being it's you're getting more, you know, like whole food type sources that are making up the majority of your intake than the processed sources. And I think we can start to see amazing results just from doing those things. Yes. Love that. Great. And then if it's the person who just has the last, you know, 10 pounds to lose, to like lean down a little bit, they're Mm -hmm. already active. They're already eating clean. What are their steps? So that would be the time to get a little more detailed in the assessment of what you're doing. And first of all, asking yourself, okay, is this worth it to me to be putting a little more time and effort into my nutrition? If you have the capacity to do that and it is worth it to you, then I would say let's get a little bit more detailed with what you're doing. So that would be, and this is just the most efficient way to do it 
would be tracking, looking at your intake overall, making sure that your macronutrient ratio is where it needs to be to be able to drive those body composition results. Because it's going to take more concerted effort at that point to drive that last little bit of body composition change. Yes. Yes. So calculating that TDEE, staying slightly below that, mm-hmm. making sure to prioritize the 0.7 to one grams of protein per yeah. pound per day. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Super, super helpful. Hope this is amazing. Everyone needs to go follow her on social media. Can you tell us where you can, where everyone can find you? Yes. Okay. So I'm on social and really Instagram is where I am. Um, I am hopewell underscore health. And uh, yeah, I do one-on-one nutrition coaching and I also am doing, this is a newer program, but it's actually driven just for this reason. Exactly. It's called the macronutrient assessment protocol. And we do exactly what I just talked about, where you're already working out, you're already having a overall healthy diet. This is really dialing it in to see where you should be to drive that body composition change. So I'm excited about that too. That's awesome. I love that. Hope, thank you so much. And for you listeners, thank you for listening. We will see you all next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now.